Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word. We pray it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Whether we're here today looking in on Christian things or whether we've been following you for years, please encourage us, challenge us, and show us the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past 40 years or so, there's been something of a a revolution in terms of how we think of our authority figures. So take our, uh, our political leaders. Well, not so long ago, they were respected, weren't they? They were respected as public servants. Nowadays, not so much. Nowadays, we, they're largely mocked and derided. I think on, on Friday night, 10,000 people sang along with Radiohead, bring down the government, they don't, they don't speak for us. Kind of sums up the front page of the newspapers, doesn't it? The same with our police officers. They, they were once honoured as defenders of justice. But now so many people treat them with suspicion. In parts of London today, parents teach their kids when they see a police car coming, run. That's how they feel about them. And it's even true with uh, doctors and teachers, once the the pillars of society. Nowadays, when uh, little Johnny doesn't revise for his exams, it's the school that get the blame. Uh, When a a diagnosis is missed in a tiny 10-minute appointment window... Well, the surgery is sued. Now, in part, this sort of prevailing culture of suspicion about authority figures, it's in part come about because of the increased media coverage of scandals and abuses and cover-ups. We've all seen, haven't we, power being abused for personal gain, and it's ugly. And trust, once it's broken, it takes ages to rebuild. But a large part, I would argue, a large part of our resistance to authority figures comes from the fact that we are increasingly individualistic. We simply don't trust anyone to rule us but ourselves. We tell ourselves, only I know what's best for me. So when people tell us what to do, we ask, well, who are you, who are you to say that? When people try and give us advice and wisdom, we suspect they're trying to manipulate us somehow. So we're seeing the the impact of individualism on a societal level, but we're also seeing how it affects the way people think about God. You might have heard of Aldous Huxley. He wrote the dystopian novel A Brave New World. And there's a, a moment of brutal honesty when he admitted he has a secret reason for his atheism. He wrote this. The person who finds no meaning in this world is not concerned exclusively with science and metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove there is no valid reason why he should not do what he just wants to do. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. I want to live my life, my way. Thank you very much. The question we're asking today, you'll see from your handouts, is this. Who has the right to govern our lives? Living in a world, as we do, full of suspicion and mistrust of our authority figures, whose rule should we be giving ourselves over to? 
Well, we're in Luke 20. If you, if you were here last week, we saw Jesus arrive in Jerusalem. The crowds had been hailing him as the long-promised king. But surprisingly, immediately as he enters the city, the religious leaders, they're not so sure. They saw his advancing kingdom as a threat to their own little personal kingdom. Now, despite all the overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, they they question his authority and his right to rule over them. In fact, they go so far as to try to kill him. But the problem in our passage we're we're looking at now is that they face a, a slight problem. See, Jesus is immensely popular with the crowds. Now, they've got to try and find a way of getting rid of Jesus without getting on the wrong side of all the crowds who like him. So in verse 20, look down, they have a cunning plan, a very cunning plan. Verse 20, follow with me. Keeping a close watch on Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to, to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? After setting up a surveillance operation, the religious leaders, they send in undercover spies and they're disguised. They're not not disguised with those sort of brown trench coats and sunglasses and newspapers with holes cut out in them. No, they're disguised with the pretense of righteousness and with flattery. Oh, Jesus, we know you're a straight shooter. Uh, We know you're not afraid to say the tough, unpopular things. We know you teach what God says, even if it's unpopular. Now now then, Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or, or not? It's a brilliant question. Brilliant question. Because Jesus is caught whichever way he answers. This imperial poll tax was immensely unpopular with the people in Jerusalem. It wasn't so much about the money. It was a tangible reminder that Israel was not what they're supposed to be. Instead of being an independent kingdom, a blessing to the nations, instead this, this tax it pictured in concrete terms that they're under the thumb of a pagan ruler. It's insulting. So if Jesus answers, yes, yes, you should pay your taxes, he would risk losing all popular support and even undermining his own claims to be a king. But then think about it. If he answered the other way, no, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, then the religious, religious leaders, they're just going to take him and chuck him under the bus. They, they want to hand him over to the Roman governor. So Jesus is caught, isn't he? How will he answer? He's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Well, his answer is is simply brilliant. Look at verse 23. Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius, it's a coin, whose portrait and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he'd said in public and astonished by his answer, they became silent. I love this. Jesus takes their either-or question and gives it a both-and sort of answer. 
And in our remaining time together, you'll see on your handout, I want us to focus on the two parts of Jesus' response. Firstly, what does he mean when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's? Uh, forgive me, I actually forgot to bring my wallet. Does anyone have a, have a coin on them, a coin in their pocket? Tom, Tom has a wallet. I can see he's got a brilliant Tom, yeah. Have you got a coin? Thanks. In fact, have you got any cash at all? <laughs> Excellent. So I've got a, I've got a, I've got a pound coin here. It's, a, it's one of the newer pound coins. Who, whose image is on the pound coin? The Queen, Her, Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. Um, how, how would you rate her as a king? Uh, sorry, as a queen. <laughs> She's not a great king, is she? She's a good queen. Yeah, I think pretty, pretty good. Well, the coin that Jesus would have been holding in his hand, it would have had the image of Caesar on it. And Caesar, everybody knew, was a monstrous tyrant. He was greedy, he was warmongering, he, uh, he was a blasphemous man. In fact, the little, you know, often coins have a little inscription around them, don't they? The little inscription underneath the denarius Jesus would have been holding would have said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, great high priest. Now, no Israelite could ever look at that and go, yeah, great man, it's blasphemy. He's claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be a great high priest. No, 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 no Jewish man can ever go, yeah, I, I, I like that guy. And yet Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, I want to pull out a couple of implications here for us. First of all, we must pay our taxes. We've got to pay our taxes. You, you might have seen um, Monty Python's uh, Life of Brian. There's a fantastic scene where there's a group of Jewish zealots and they're, they're plotting against the Roman overlords. And their leader asks a, a, a question. What have the Romans ever done for us? It's a rhetorical question. But it seems that everyone in the room sort of misses that point And they start chipping in all these different suggestions, all the good things the Romans have done for them. And it really annoys the leader, if you've seen the sketch. And so it, with some frustration, he says, all right, all right, well, well, apart from better sanitation, medicine, education, immigration, roads, wine, fresh water system, baths and public order, what have the Romans ever done for us? Peace? Shut up. <laughs> well, the Bible teaches that, that God has placed these rulers in authority over us for our good. Even evil and blasphemous governments like Caesar's, they're better than no government at all. I think the most desperate places in the world today are places where there's no king, no ruler. It's just chaos. And everyone does what they say fit. So if we follow us to Jesus, it's, it's right that we support these authorities. Because our, our taxes, they help pave the roads. They help educate our children. They help care for our sick. They help look after our elderly. Uh, paying our taxes, in Romans 13, we're told is a way of worshipping God. Now, we may take issue with some of the things our government believes. I certainly don't believe everything uh, our government says in terms of ethical issues. She certainly doesn't like some of the things our government says on certain ethical issues. But nonetheless, Jesus says we've got to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And just think about it. This means tax evasion is not only illegal, it's a sin of which we must repent of. And tax avoidance 
It's legal, but it's, it's a moral gray area, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know where your, your own conscience lies on this issue. Um, apparently, 56% of Britons think that avoiding tax is morally wrong. So if, if we think it's right, we, we kind of need good reasons for believing that. If, if, if your conscience says you shouldn't do it, then you shouldn't do it. I, I know a, a young couple, they're, they're in our church, and with the help of their parents, they, um, they, they recently bought a house elsewhere. And their broker was, was encouraging them to, to name it as their primary place of residence. But they, they said, no, we can't do that. We, we, live, we live in Hampstead. We're, we're buying it for, rent, for, for rental. But he said, well, but you'll pay far less tax. But it's a lie. But you'll save so much money. But, it, but it's a lie. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. As followers of Jesus, we should be good citizens and pay our taxes and actually delight to do so. But a second implication for us on our sheets is, is that we must not confuse our kingdoms. By encouraging his followers to pay taxes to Caesar, Jesus is showing that his kingdom is not of this world. See, unlike in the Old Testament, it was a theocratic state of Israel. No, Jesus' kingdom would, would not be a country with borders and taxes. No, Jesus' kingdom would be found within other earthly kingdoms. And it's located wherever in the world people are trusting in him. Now, you might know some of the darkest moments in church history have been when Christians have forgotten this important truth. Think of the Crusades. We need to take back the Holy Land from the Muslims. Think of the burning of heretics. We need to protect the country from heresy, from lies. Think of some of the rhetoric we see on the front pages of our newspapers. We want to return to a Christian Britain. This may be a shock for some of us here, but the whole idea of a Christian nation is a total myth. Yes, our, our laws are largely influenced by Judeo-Christian values. Yes, we desire the gospel to shape and transform our culture. But Jesus and his apostles never intended Christians to be the controlling majority. In fact, the gospel has often had its greatest impact when we're the persecuted minority. So 99% of the time, it's right that we obey our governing authorities. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. But of course, there will be times we can't do that without disobeying our God. In the 1930s, Germany was seeing the advance of Hitler's Third Reich, and all the, the usual voices which would normally cry out against a corrupt government, they, they were keeping quiet about the evil they were seeing. The police, no, the universities, keeping quiet. The press all went along with the tide. But on the 31st of May, 1934, the Confessing Church issued what was called the Barman Declaration. They stated graciously, peacefully, but firmly, that they must obey God rather than human powers. They could not be caught up in the sins of their culture. Now this was, an, if you know, it was an incredibly costly for them to, thing for them to do. Many of their leaders, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, ended up in concentration camps and were executed because of that stance. But in the midst of the horrors at that time, they shone out like a beacon. 
They, they weren't swept along with the tide, but instead, instead, instead stood firm against that monstrous tide. And so impressive and unique was that testimony at that time that it led Albert Einstein, who was not a Christian, to say this. He said, only the church, only the church stood squarely across the path of Hitler's campaign for suppressing the truth. I never had any special interest in the church before, but now I feel a great affection and admiration for it. I am forced to confess that what I once despised, I now praise unreservedly. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now the remaining time, I want us to focus on the second part of what Jesus said here, where he says, give to God what is God's. Now think about it. If, if, uh, if the coin... Uh, which Jesus is holding, if, if the coin is, is bearing Caesar's image, his point is, therefore, we should give our money to Caesar. It belongs to him. But think about it. What, what is it that bears God's image? We do. We do. Jesus is saying we should give ourselves wholeheartedly to God. Now, two reasons for this. Firstly, because we've been made in the image of of our creator. Now, I don't know how this sits with you. Immediately, hackles might be going up on, on, your, on your neck. You, you, you're thinking, what? Hand myself over, all of myself, to God. Maybe every um, individualistic fiber of your being is saying, no, I belong to nobody but myself. But if God has made us, then it's a safe bet to say that he knows what's best for us. So when our Father asks us to give ourselves to him, this isn't a manipulative power play. It's an act of love. Because he knows if, if we don't hand ourselves over to him, our Father, our Creator, then inevitably we're going to hand ourselves over to someone or something else. And often those things do incredible damage. I mean, we've seen, we're beginning to see at the very least, what starts to happen in society when people start to think we are our own creators. Inevitably, we have to try and derive our value, not from what God thinks of us, being made in his image, but, but what other people think of us. There's a, a new arcade fire track just released called Creature Comfort, and it, it makes this very point. It's a kind of a, an upbeat disco tune, which you can sort of dance along to, but it's, it's about rising depression and suicide rates amongst young people. It, it, the, the tune and the lyrics are deliberately discordant. See, on one level, the band recognised that the youth today have never had it so good. They sing, born in a diamond mine. It's all around you, but you just don't see it. But because young people feel they must um, manipulate, uh, sorry, sorry, manufacture their own sense of self-worth, ironically, they end up feeling more and more Worthless. They sing, some girls hate their bodies, stand in the mirror and wait for the feedback. Singing, God, make me famous, but if you can't, just make it painless. In other words, if I can't be approved of, just, just kill me. I think Arcade Fire have put their finger on the problem, but they, they don't have a solution. Ironically, I think the solution is there in the title of the song, Creature Comfort. As creatures, 
we can find comfort in the fact that we've been made in the image of our creator. Our value comes from him, not from anywhere else. But here's another reason why we should give ourselves to God, give to God what is God's. It's that because it's because we've been saved in order to image our Redeemer. So deep down, we, we might suspect, maybe this is you, deep down we might suspect that if we give ourselves to God, we would somehow lose ourselves. We would somehow um, diminish ourselves or, or, or lessen ourselves, that, that we wouldn't be true to who we really are. Maybe that's what we're thinking. But in fact, the very opposite is the case. If we give ourselves to him, he commits himself to make us the very best version of ourselves. A me modelled not on what our culture thinks, but a me modelled on the most loving, bold, generous, heroic, open-hearted man who ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was once a sculptor in Florence who, who attained this massive piece of, of marble, that Carrara marble, 20 feet tall in the air. He fancied himself as a bit of an artist, so he had a go at it, began chipping away at it, but he didn't really know what he was doing, and in the end he made a complete hash of it. He sort of wrecked this beautiful piece of marble. Various artisans came along to see if they could buy it off him, see if they could make something out of the mess he's made, including one chap called Leonardo da Vinci, but even he went away. Now it's beyond repair. It's useless. For almost 100 years, that lump of marble just, just stood left in a courtyard, untouched. But then in 1505, a young sculptor called Michelangelo was asked if he could do anything with it. And unlike all the other artists, he didn't see what was. He saw what it could be. And as he was moving this, this lump of rock to his, workplace, uh, to his workshop, someone asked him, well, what are you doing with that big, ugly boulder? And he replied, no, that's, that's not a boulder. That's a masterpiece. And for three whole years, Michelangelo worked on that botched piece of marble, painstakingly chipping away at it, uh, trying to form it, uh, uh, patiently working with all the flaws, whether they're, whether they're man-made or whether they're just naturally within the, the piece of rock itself. And at the end of those three years, Michelangelo stood back, and there was his masterpiece. He named it after the great king of the Old Testament, David. You need to believe this. Your creator doesn't reject you because you're flawed. He doesn't just see what you are now with all your messed upness and all your sin. No, he sees what you could be and he commits himself to that. So friends, if you give yourselves over to him, he will redeem you. He will slowly and painstakingly chip away at us. It won't be quick. It won't be easy. It won't be painless. Because we're pretty messed up, aren't we? But you know what? One day in glory, we're going to stand before our Father in heaven and we'll be perfectly transformed into the image of Christ, the best version of ourselves. So as I close, we each have a decision to make. Who are we going to give ourselves over to? Because as we've seen, we have to give ourselves to someone or something, don't we? Who, who are you going to give yourself over to? We could, be, we could be conformed to the image of our culture, individualistic, 
greedy, selfish, narcissistic. We could uh, conform ourselves to the image of the city, ruthless, heartless, in it for yourself. We could try and carve out our own image, but we know that doesn't work. Or, or we could give ourselves over to the rule of our creator who made us and our redeemer who died for us and to be made into the best person we could be. We, gotta, we can't make the same mistake as these religious leaders. See, they rejected Jesus' rule because they saw it as a threat. Friends, it's not a threat. I encourage you, give yourself generously to your creator and your redeemer. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we've um, in many ways made a mess of trying to conform to whatever image our culture says we should or whatever image we've conjured up in our head. Lord, we've made a mess of ourselves and, and a mess of our relationships and we need your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that as a great redeemer, he loves us nonetheless and he has come to redeem us, flawed though we are. Thank you for his death for us on the cross and help us as we trust in him to be more and more transformed into that image of the king. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.